I pray that that's your desire. That's my desire. It was a beautiful reminder this morning. I'm not here to preach, but to meet Jesus. And hopefully, <laughs> uh, through my preaching, even through my preaching, that we would get to see uh, Jesus. Well, church, it is, um, it's good to be back here this morning. And I, I say it with all my heart. You know, most of you know that I started here as a pastoral intern. Two years I was here. I was gone for uh, maybe four to five months. I don't know how long I've been gone, but um, I always look back uh, uh, at my time here with fondness. Your friendship, um, your love, your grace toward me and my family means a lot. Uh, this is where I learned um, to see for the first time, you know, how things work behind the scenes, how churches work behind the scenes, what it takes to run a church. Uh, there's a lot of work that goes on, right? A lot of preparation that goes on. A lot of people put in a lot of time to make this happen every Sunday morning. And, and, and to those folks, I want to say, all your work uh, is never forgotten by God. Right? Jesus said, a cup of water to a little child I will not forget. You will receive your reward in heaven. All that we uh, saw the children line up here this morning, all that Mary did, Mary, don't forget wherever you are. She's <laughs> with the children. Um, God remembers. God remembers everything that we put in here. Uh, I'm glad to be here on this particular Sunday morning as I uh, understand, uh, Pastor Brian and Lisa, this is going to be our last time here with us. Um, I just want to say to you, Priya and I have enjoyed every time you've led us in worship, uh, even including this morning. We've been thoroughly blessed by you guys, and I'm sure the church has been too, and wherever you go, our prayer is that God will use your talents. It has been anointed by God. And I pray that you'll go in the power and the strength and grace of relying on him and that you will be led by him. There is a lot of need in this world. Um, I pray that God will send you to the right place. And so, so it is with, for Mary. I know she's not here, but uh, my children grew up, uh, both Alicia and Timothy, uh, for two years under Mary. And we appreciate all that she's done. She's out there. Uh, doesn't know what's going on here. She misses a lot, right? She misses on the every Sunday teaching that we all hear, and I don't know what we do with it, but she misses that, right? Um, she's put in a lot of time, and we appreciate, and I just want to encourage her to know that uh, her work is not in vain. Her, no, her work is not in vain. Church, this morning, um, if you notice, my title here says Purposeful Love of Christ. And if you look at your bulletin, I had something else. It's the same passage. Um, I have just repurposed the title to make it more meaningful to what we're going to talk about this morning. When most people sleep in on a Sunday morning, here you are, right? Just like you, uh, about 150 million people in the United States... And about 2 billion people around the world got up like you did this morning, went through their Sunday morning ritual. You know, I don't know about you, but my, in my family, it's always a race against time trying to get our kids in the car, right? And just when you put them in the car, 
you, uh, you smell this fragrance that is not necessarily pleasant, so you had to go back in, change, and then again, race against time and put him in the car again. I'm talking about Timothy and the diaper changes, right, in the last minute. We go through this Sunday morning, right, and then we come here, we spend a few minutes in prayer, a few minutes in worship, a few minutes listening to the Word of God, and a few minutes socializing, right, and then we go back home. And for most of us, we may come back on a, for some of us, we may come back on a, on a Wednesday night for another fellowship. But for most of us, we won't have anything to do with church until next Sunday, right? And this happens the next Sunday, the same thing happens. We go through the same ritual, we come to church, we spend a few minutes in prayer, worship, hearing the word, socialize, and we go Sunday after Sunday, month after month, Year after year, church can become a routine, right? And if you're not careful, church can become a mundane routine. Church may become something that we just attend on a Sunday morning, right? But is this what Christ died for? Is this what church is? Church is much bigger than that. When you read Ephesians in chapter 3, you will see Paul talk about this great mystery of Christ in chapter 3. This great mystery of Christ is that, that God was now going to include people like us, the Gentiles, to be part of God's family. This was never heard of before Christ came. Right? So Paul talks about this great mystery that was hidden for all ages, that God was going to include people like you and me. And Paul says, God used the church to reveal this mystery. Okay? And this is what it says in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ... And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God in relation to the mystery might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Think about this for a second. Church for us might be a routine. Right? But for God, He is using our gathering. He is using our gathering here this morning and across the world. When people gather in the name of Christ, God is revealing a mystery that was hidden for ages and not just to us, but for people in heavenly places. Think about this. I mean, this, this is what it says in verse 10. So that through the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places places. Isn't that incredible, church? To this church, Christ died. Christ loved this church. Christ gave his life for this church. Church is a big deal to God whether we see it that way or not. Um, 
And this is what I want to present to you this morning. Christ loved the church with a purpose. Christ loved the church with a purpose. Christ didn't love the church so that we can sing about it and feel happy about it and then we go home, right? Christ loved the church with a purpose. And that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27. Now, when you turn there, you will notice verse 25 starts with husbands, love your wives. Right? In fact, in the larger context of this passage, this passage is, uh, is, is where Paul talks about how husbands need to love their wives and how wives need to submit to their husbands. Right? This is a passage for marriage counseling. Right? But Paul uses all of that. He bases how we need to relate to one another based on this model. And the model is this, how Christ loves the church. Okay, and that's what we're going to see here this morning. We're going to see Christ loves the church with a purpose. The purpose, number one, is to reorient our own purpose. Okay, and purpose number two is to reshape our identity. Uh, Now, before we get into this, um, I just want to say uh, that church here uh, talks about the, the church of the Jesus Christ, right? The church of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one church, the, the universal church. So you might be wondering, how, how is this, you know, what we're going to be talking about, how is this going to apply to us today? I mean, how, what do we take from this? I mean, if God is saying he loves the church, what about Brightcliffe Baptist Church, right? And I thought to myself, um, take a loaf of bread, right? And you slice it up. Everything that's true about the loaf is true about the slice, is it not? In fact, it is true about the crumbs that fall off the, of the slice. Everything that we're going to look at uh, about the church of Jesus Christ, church, keep in mind, it is true about each and every one of you individually and as local church, as Brightcliff Baptist Church. So let's read and let's get into the purposes. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. I'm going to skip the part that says, husbands, love your wives. I'm going to start with Christ loved the church, all right? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Purpose number one, to sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to do two things. One, to sanctify her, and we're going to look at it. Sanctify her is to reorient our purpose. And number two, to reshape our identity, to present uh, the church to himself, blemishless and without spot or wrinkle. Christ loved the church to reorient our purpose. So verse six, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word. Are you all confused yet? (laughs) Is this complicated enough for you? 
But let's, let's, uh, let's take this slowly, church, because this is very important. What it's saying here is, Christ loved the church that he might sanctify you. Okay, but what does it mean? Let's take a look at it. Sanctify simply means set apart for God. Set apart for God. In the Old Testament, uh, animals and utensils were used in the temple worship, right? Those, uh, those animals and utensils were not used for any other purpose. They were used solely in the temple worship. They were sanctified in that sense. So when the word says, Christ loved the church and gave his life for her that he might sanctify her, what it means is God loved us and gave his life for us so that our purposes might be set apart for God. But before um, he sanctifies the church, what does he do? It's in part two, verse six. If you take a look at verse six, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, word, of water with the word. So there is something that Christ does before he sets us apart, right? And what he does is he cleanses us by the washing of water with the word. Again, washing of water with the word. What is this, right? This could be so complicated. All it sim simply means is this. The washing of water with the word refers to your baptism. Okay? Now stay with me. This is how it's going to make sense. And what is baptism? Baptism is our outward profession of our inward conviction or faith. Right? When we go into the baptism waters, what we are saying is, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and I believe that, and I myself am now, am now dying and buried and rising again in Christ through that act of baptism, right? That's what baptism signifies. When we go into the waters, we're saying, I die and rise with Christ. But, but note this very carefully. Paul adds the words with the word to the end to say it is not baptism it is not that pool that washes you. It is the word that causes you to go into the baptism that actually washes you. It is your belief. It is your faith. Okay? It is not the baptism that saves you. It is my faith in what the baptism signifies that saves me. Okay? So that's what it, that's what it means. Now, I know, I know this is getting very complicated, right? <laughs> All right, Christ... Uh, loved us and gave himself for us to sanctify us, to reorient us, okay, whatever that means, and, and to cleanse us by his word, right? So we saw all of that. But simply put, this is what it means, church. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, once in a while, you'll see a parade of these classic cars, right? These race cars that, um, that people take for a spin, um, what is it called? It's called, uh, I forget what it's called. What's that? <laughs> no, no, the restoration of classic cars. Have you heard of that? People restore these old cars from the past to make it brand new. Have you seen any of those cars, by the way? Yeah? Do any of you actually do it? 
No, no, it takes a lot of money, right? It's a tedious process. It takes a lot of money. Um, it's very metric. You've got to be very meticulous, right? And you put in a lot of work. Sometimes people spend about tens of thousands of dollars. So the, recently, a car, um, 1904 Rolls-Royce, was purposed and was sold for $7.3 million. It was made to look absolutely beautiful uh, by spending a lot of money on it, right? Um, classics, yes. Now, this is what, uh, but what good is, is a car fully restored and is sitting in your garage? No good, right? The car achieves its purpose only when it is on the road. Only when it is running and taking people around, the car actually achieves its purpose, doesn't it? So in that sense, um, the car is sanctified for use. Think about a treadmill. I don't know how many of you, uh, how many of you all have treadmills. A $1,000 treadmill is truly sanctified when it is used for working out, not for hanging laundry. <laughs> Christ loved us and gave his life for us so that our purposes might become God's purposes. Ultimately, our purposes might have eternal significance, right? Until you come to Christ, until we come to Christ, whatever we do, all our accomplishments, all we do dies with us. What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul, Jesus said, right? In Christ, you have a new purpose that has eternal significance. It changes everything we do. How we do it, even the mundane work we do, even the job that we so grudgingly go to every morning, when we do it for the glory of God, it matters. God changes our purpose. That's what sanctification means, to, to repurpose, to be set apart for God. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it so that the church might now be set apart for God and find its eternal significance in God. Second point, Christ loved the church, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So when Paul writes these letters, when he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? And you can see that over here. These are not human man's words. You know, he's writing with this profound insight that only comes from God. And he's like writing so much. I don't know whoever uh, scribed for him, man, should have had a very tough time catching up with Paul, Right? Um, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Point number two here, church. Christ loved the church to reshape our identity. How does he do it? In the Old Testament, uh, God calls a man named Hosea um, to go and prophesy to Israel. Now, Hosea was called the deathbed prophet because he was the last prophet to Israelites before Israel fell to the Assyrian army, 
okay? Um, God calls him not only to go and preach uh, and, um, you know, preach and prophesy to Israel, but he, God gave him a very tough task. God said, Hosea, this is what you're going to do. You are going to take as your wife a prostitute. God said, Hosea, I want your life, I want the people of Israel to see what Israel has become to me. The, your relationship to your wife is going to signify my relationship to Israel. Okay? So and when, when that happens, Hosea uh, has three children and he's the father of only one. Um, God tells Hosea, Give these children these names that will signify what's going to happen to Israel, right? So it's very ominous names that God gives him, reflecting what's going to happen to Israel. One, one of the names, the second child is named Lo Ruhama. And that means no mercy. God says, um, Hosea, your ch- name your child Lo Ruhama, meaning no mercy, because I am no longer going to have mercy on Israel. You see, what had happened to Israel was that Israel had grown very prosperous. They had been, become very increasingly successful um, to the point, but uh, while they were becoming increasingly prosperous, they also be- became increasingly morally corrupt. They not only did what was displeasing in God's eyes, they completely rejected God by turning to idols. Okay, they in fact turned to Baal worship. And if you know anything about Baal worship, that involved human sacrifices. So they did completely things that were completely detestable in God's eyes. And God said to Hosea, I've had enough for these people. I will show no mercy now. They are up, they're on their own. When the third child was born, God, God tells Hosea, name the child, not my people. I do, I do not want these people to be my people. This is how the, these people are going to be to me now. They are not my people. Right? And at this point, Hosea's wife leaves him and, and goes off to another man. After a while, message comes to Hosea. Hosea, I want you to go and buy your wife back. Because I want Israel to know that I, will, I still love them. I still want them, to come, uh, want them to come back to me. So I want you to go and buy back, Jose, uh, buy back your wife with your own money. And so Hosea does. He goes and buys his wife back from this man for 30 shekels of silver. This picture, this life that Hosea portrays or signifies God and his relationship to Israel. But if you think about it, it has a much bigger picture. It actually points to Christ and to us. We are the wayward woman in that story. We are the one Christ goes to the cross to die and buy us so that he may present her to himself. How is it, church? In splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. The picture here is that church is a bride of Christ. We are going to be the bride of Christ. You see, that's our identity today. Christ loved the church 
and gave himself for her so that we may not be some not my people, no mercy people, but that we might be the bride of Christ. Imagine what that does to you, right? Imagine being part of uh, a royalty. If you were born into royalty, if you're um, the son of uh, Prince uh, William and Kate, Dutch, uh, Duchess, uh, the children, what sense of worth and significance that they may, that they, they, they may have, right? Today, God says, there's coming a time, you are going to be a spotless, blemishless, a bride of splendor. He reshapes our identity. This changes how we look at everything now, don't we? There is no place for fear knowing that we are, we belong to Christ. There is no place for um, condemnation. We now belong to Christ. Christ loved us and gave himself for us that he might change our identity. Church, I know, um, let's, let's bring this down, right? Christ in love us, and uh, that was the end of story, right? Christ loved us and demonstrated that love by going to the cross, by dying for us. But then it doesn't end there. He loved us and goes to the cross so that our purposes now might be sanctified. That what we do now as a people might be for the glory of God. Right? Might be a repurpose to God's purposes. He died and, and gave his life for us so that we might become the beautiful bride of Christ. Without condemnation, there is no one who is it that condemns the bride of Christ. Right? There's going to be no condemnation, no fear. Even as you, church, I know you're going through your own season now. Season of regrouping and reshaping your vision. Let this be the DNA of this church. Knowing that Christ loves this church more than any man can. Christ loves this church and demonstrates his love by going to the cross. None of us will do that, right? In fact, Romans says Christ died for us in that while we were, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even this, uh, the, uh, yesterday I was reading an article about how uh, at the Yosemite um, mountains in, in California, uh, a man died trying to protect his wife. There was a rock that f came, you know, fell over them. And the man jumped over, you know, uh, on his wife to cover her to protect her from the rock that was falling on him. Right? And the man died. People give their lives for good people. Christ loved us when we were sinners. Let this be your platform from which you launch as a church, knowing that you are loved 
therefore love. Therefore, not just love the ones out there that we do not know. Love the ones in here. Love each other. Christ died. Christ loved and died for us that we may that he, our purposes might be reoriented. Think about what you are doing. Let it be for the glory of God. Let it be from a place of confidence knowing that you are one day going to be a beautiful bride of Christ. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great mystery that you revealed. Your word says this was a mystery that was hidden for angels, something that even angels longed to see what it was about. And we are the revelation of that mystery. 